Shall we bow our heads before we begin? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are giver of life and wisdom and understanding, and this is more precious than jewels, than diamonds, and all things that last, Lord. And so by your mercy, Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to be in our midst, to move us, to search our hearts, to bring to the surface the things that are hidden, and to illumine our hearts and our minds, that we may know the mind of God and be able to do His will. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sharing is titled, Shall We Accept Good from God and Not Troubled? Uh, if you've been following the text, you would notice that it is most likely the last uh, verse uh, that was just read in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. I'm not sure how often uh, Job has been preached from, uh, from this pulpit, uh, but you don't commonly find it uh, being preached. It can be quite depressing, uh, can be quite difficult uh, for some people to accept, and I apologize ahead of time if uh, it rubs on some sore wounds uh, for some people in the past. Now, Job is a rather unusual book in the Old Testament. Uh, some have argued that it may actually predate the Torah, uh, older than even before that. And so some ancient records are, are actually quite old about Job. But Job has a particular uniqueness about it. One, uh, it is about a man by the name of Job in the land of Uz. Uh, it's not a common name. Uh, Uz, Uz, uh, whichever way you want to look at it. Now, uh, the land of Uz is, uh, is not in Israel. Okay. Trying to get this to move. Next slide, please. Okay, while they work out the slides, don't worry. Job is said to be from the land of Uz. Uz is not Israel. <clears throat> Uz is actually east of the Jordan, uh, and so it's kind of like heading out towards the Middle East, uh, heading towards Oriental places. It's a slightly different location uh, than that which is, uh, which is given. Now, aside from that, uh, there is no writer uh, to this book, in a sense that the, the writer doesn't say, this is who I am, or who wrote this particular book. Uh, other Old Testament books, we tend to know who the writer is. But in the book of Job, we're not too sure who wrote this book. Uh, there's no ascription as to who wrote it. And not only that, there is no description as to when this particularly occurred, who actually came up with all these things. And so we're left with the situation where uh, <coughs> Job is given as a story. And in this story, it's particularly given for the purpose of focusing on the story itself. Uh, it's a very simplistic story, and there are five scenes. And the first scene is a scene on earth, and we have in Job chapter 1, verse 1, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man is blameless and upright. Uh, in the text itself, it says, the man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. This term, blameless and upright, you commonly see in uh, wisdom literature. 
uh, and also in Psalms. Uh, some Psalms will tell you about the fact that he is blameless and upright. Now, just because he is blameless and upright doesn't mean that he is sinlessly perfect. Uh, you would have your bulletin with you, and in the middle there, there are some outlines where you fill in the blanks. Okay, He is what we would call beyond reproach, but not sinlessly perfect. That definition uh, of uh, blameless and upright, the word he, in Hebrew, tam, uh, tends to indicate that he is a person who is not guilty uh, or is okay before God, but doesn't mean that he is sinlessly perfect. And so, it, very clearly in the beginning in scene one, which is a scene on earth about Job, Job is established as innocent of the trouble suffering or retribution that's about to happen. Now, we, we see in verse 1, uh, Job is this wealthy person who does uh, a lot of things in order to ensure that he is right before God. Even when his children go out to party, okay, they have a dinner party and he's, af you know, he's afraid maybe they may have offended God uh, through the parting. So, they actually, he brings offerings and sacrifices in order to atone if for any reason, the children may have done wrong. So he acts a little bit like a priest. But he has so much wealth. He has seven children, uh, sorry, seven boys, three girls. He has so much wealth. And he's established as an upright person. So very clearly, very simplistically, this story about Job is he's a good man. He's not done any evil. He's not bad. But along that comes in the following verses, and I, I, I urge you, go back and read this. It's an interesting uh, story that very simply tells you that one after the other, disaster strikes this person. The disasters occur in such a way that one after the other, before the first messenger can finish his message, and as, just as he's about to leave, the next messenger comes with more bad news. There are four, almost four instances that come. One is basically uh, 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 lightning, fire that comes from God. Uh, some of it is uh, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans come and destroy stuff. It's not just uh, his family that's affected, but all his wealth has been stolen and taken away from him. Now, I'd like to ask you to reflect upon this. Have you ever had a situation where trouble comes non-stop. You know, it, they say when it, when it rains, it pours. Okay. Have you ever encountered a situation where before the next thing can happen, before you can take your next breath, something else keeps coming into the picture and causes this problem? I've got a video that I like to uh, play at this point, and it's one that is very recent, uh, it's taken from uh, the Asia Channel from Singapore. There's a bit of sound to this, so hopefully you can hear it.
just by way of mention, the church is actually, the leadership is in discussion as to how we can send funds and help. And so the church, from its own funds, is going to send uh, a quantum of money or we're currently going through the approval process and uh, uh, pushing that through. But aside from that, we're also talking about whether we want to take an offering from the congregation to also supplement that. And so keep your eyes open. Most likely within the coming uh, one or two weeks, uh, we'll make an appeal uh, for those who want to contribute, we are sending it through uh, the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church has connections over in uh, uh, Sulawesi, uh, where we'll be sending funds. Now, uh, back to this point about Job. When trouble comes, sometimes it comes in waves, and many waves come. And Job, as we know, is this person who has been very clearly said he has not done anything wrong. Very rarely will you find in the Bible someone who is mentioned as upright and blameless, one who fears God. The only other person where it's mentioned in such a case is Abraham and maybe even Moses. But it's a very rare situation when you have someone like this. The other person who is shown forth as this, who is more than blameless and upright, in fact, sinless, would be Jesus. So it's established right from the beginning in this rather unusual book, a book that is not Jewish because Job is not Jewish and the friends who later come and talk to him, they're not Jews either. A book that is placed in the Jewish canon in our Old Testament about a man who suffers because we don't know why. He's a good man. He's righteous, upright, a God-fearing person. Now, that's the first scene on earth, right? Then comes a second scene which happens in the heavenly, which the people on earth don't see. But you, as the reader, are able to see this story. It says there, The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Where have you come from? Now, uh, I need to go back a bit. Job, when all things have been taken from him, at the end of that verse, uh, he says this statement, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, let me remind you, all his wealth has been taken away. His houses and assets have been destroyed. His, uh, his children have been taken away from him. All that's left with him is maybe his wife and his own life. It's almost as if he's been in a disaster and everything around him has been taken away except his wife and himself. He could have easily blamed the enemies, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans, or he could have easily blamed God or the elements, but instead he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return, the Lord has given. He remembers the past and the Lord takes. He remembers his actual reality. He doesn't deny it. The Lord has taken. He remembers God's gift and he remembers his reality, his current situation. The Lord has taken. And finally, he nonetheless praises God and says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, what kind of guy is this? <laughs> 
And can you imagine yourself in this? I know I find that almost impossible. You take my kids away from me, you take everything, uh, you know, will you continue to still praise the Lord? That verse, in verse 20, uh, that verse essentially uh, <coughs> is in a situation where we give thanks for all situations. Now, what I just read to you about the second scene where it happens in heaven, it is God Himself who points out Job. Okay? <clears throat> I read it back to you, verse 6. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Now, the, N the NIV version puts it as Satan, capital S-A-T-A-N. The actual Hebrew is Ha-Satan. Ha-Satan is slightly different from Satan. Satan is capital S-A-T-A-N, a special name, a unique name given to an identified person. But Ha-Satan means the Satan, and Satan is translated as the adversary or the challenger. Okay, so there is an article before Satan, the challenger. And so rightly, we should look at this not so much as the personal devil, the devil, but the challenger, the adversary, the one who is challenging God in this. So I read it again to you, and I read it in the way the Hebrew would actually uh, intend to communicate. One day, the sons of God, <coughs> the angels, uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and the challenger, the adversary, also came with them. So this person is a person who is in the setting of God. He sits there in the council uh, that God uses to administer the whole nation. And the Lord said to the, the challenger, the adversary, where have you come from? So it's a, this conversation going on. It's not as if it's between enemies or something, but one who challenges uh, what Job is doing and what God is doing, uh, he effectively questions the policies that God makes. Satan answered the Lord from roaming, or the adversary answers the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I point out to you, it is not the adversary who points out Job to God. It is God who points out, have you considered my servant Job. There is no one on earth like him, none like him. He is blameless and upright. God himself says this of this man. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. It's a repeat of verse 1. Okay? So very clearly, very simplistically, this story is telling you on earth, there is this man who is righteous. Everybody agrees. In heaven... God says, there is this man on earth. He's blameless and upright. Hey, adversary, challenger, look at this guy. And the challenger does what he's supposed to do. He challenges God's opinion of this person. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to, his, to your face. 
Then the Lord said to the challenger, Very well, then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Now these are parts of the text which were not read, and I'm going through quickly so that you, you, you have an understanding of what's happening. This is scene two, heavenly scene, where God points out righteous man, Job, blameless, upright, shuns evil, good guy. Satan's accusation. Yeah, la, your policy is like this, ma. you treat him well, of course he will, he will worship you. You give him all these blessings and all that, of course he will worship you. Take it away and see what happens. Take it away and see whether he will still worship you or whether he will curse you in your face. And so then, uh, God gives him permission. Go. But the only condition is, you may take everything, but do not lay your hand on him. Right? So scene two. Scene three goes back to the earth and everything that I mentioned earlier happens. Everything is taken from him before any breath can be taken. Another disaster, another disaster, another disaster, until all that's left is this verse. Everything has been taken from him, but he is perfectly intact, not harmed, but all his wealth and all his dignity and his, uh, his identity maybe has been taken from him. And he says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now we come to this second question. This, uh, <clears throat> this third scene, back in heaven again. On another day, okay, chapter 2, verse 1, follow it in your, in your Bibles, if you will, please. On another day, the angels, or the sons of God, uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and again, the adversary also came with them to present himself before the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, to the adversary, where have you come from? Repeat, huh? It's a rep repetition of the previous scene. And the adversary answered the Lord, roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to the challenger, have you considered my servant Job? It's a repeat of the second scene. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil, and he will, and he still maintains his integrity. He still maintains his integrity. Reminder, it's a repeat story. In the heavenly scene, the only difference is, again, God is pointing out that all, after all that happens, He maintains His integrity. <clears throat> and then Satan challenges again. The adversary, the challenger, replies, and I want to read this out here, verse 4, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike the flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, uh, some people struggle with this. What does skin for skin mean? And in my outline I put there, some commentators think that skin for skin is his skin has been saved by the skin of his children. That because his children have died instead of him, he has humbly accepted it and not fought against God for that. Speculation. But skin for skin, 
the adversary is not satisfied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike the flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the challenge goes further. You've taken everything. Why don't you take his health away from him? Everything about him. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is, your, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So this challenge now in the, in the, the next scene is where God is challenged to say, will you allow him to be physically harmed, personally harmed? Now, some people would argue, if you take away my children, that's personal. Yes, it is. But it gets even more personal if you are taking my health, me, physically, personally, cancer, uh, disease, illness. It happens to other people, yeah, too bad for them. But if it happens to me physically, will this guy still maintain his integrity? And we see here that God allows uh, this testing, verse T. God gives permission to the adversary to physically, personally harm Job, but not take his life. And then he says there, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet, to the top of his head or his crown. This scene, in a way, is asking us, how does God treat the righteous? Because Job has always been identified as a righteous person, one who does what is true. He is upright and he is blameless. How does that challenge our idea of this world? especially in the world that we live in, uh, where we all talk about karma. Every action has an opposite and equal reaction. Do good to others, good will come to you. Do evil to others, evil will come to you. Satan, the challenger, is challenging this policy. Really? So if you do good to him, will he also do, respond in goodness to you? What if bad comes to him? Will you also receive bad? But more importantly, it puts us to question, why does God treat the righteous this way? This, in an essence, is what the book of Job tries to answer. How does God operate in this world? Does he use justice? Is he a righteous God? If he is just, why do people suffer? Now, you might be asking this question, and I will tell you right up front, that is not the focus of this book. Because the book doesn't answer the question, why is there suffering? It doesn't talk about why, it talks about what. What will you do in the face of suffering? Nowhere in this book does God explain to Job why there was suffering. But we look at it and we say, when such treatment happens, how do we view it? <clears throat> so, the adversary afflicts Job uh, from top to bottom, and, and it's interesting why this is put in, because uh, if you put yourself in the shoes of Job, he's afflicted from top to bottom with, uh, with uh, leprosy, you might want to call it that, or a skin condition. 
Right? So much so that he has to take a pot shard and scrape himself. Why? Can you imagine if you lie down and every part of your body is oozing some wound or otherwise? It just hurts. You can't sleep. You can't rest. Sitting down is a problem. Standing up is a problem because all the way to the soles of his feet, he has sores. So he is physically in trauma. It hurts. It hurts so much that he might even want to die. In fact, in, in, in the depression that he goes to, there is a point where he goes and says, I wish I were dead. That's what he goes through. And he is afflicted. And then in the end, he says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So Joe presents a non-Jewish position about how we take suffering and difficulty and trouble. Now let me remind you, Jesus himself said to all his disciples and followers, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm, remember, I'm reminded of Shakespeare. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. The witches who are brewing this potion in this act. How do we deal with the trouble that comes from God? Do we always assume that if I act good and I act accordingly, that all good will come? Do you know, one of the questions that atheists throw to me is, he says, you Christians are worse than we atheists. And do you know why they say that? They say that because you Christians do good because you want to go to heaven. We don't believe in heaven. But we do good because it's the good thing to do. So is there such a thing as unfeeling righteousness? Okay. Where you do the right thing because it is the right thing. Not because you do the right thing because I'm afraid that God may zap me. I'm afraid that I cannot enter into heaven. Why do we do the things that we do? Are we going to be like Job? That no matter what happens to him, he doesn't curse God. He has questions and he sometimes, in fact, later on when you read some of the things, he says, God, you're a bully. You're so big and so powerful. You do this to me and I don't have an answer. It's like a, it's like a big, big person dealing with an ant. The ant feels, you're bullying me. I have no way out of this. How do we respond to the situations that we're faced with? Is there a retribution principle in place? And I urge you to search your hearts and think really hard about this. Because in all our worldviews that we have, we always say, do good and good will come back to you. Do evil, evil will come back to you. But Job is a very clear statement that that policy is being questioned. Is there a retribution principle in place? If there is justice, why do bad things happen to good people? And again, I will say Job 
does not answer this question. The book of Job does not answer this question. It is asked, but it is never given as an actual answer. But one of the things that we always look at is that all the friends come and say, Job, surely you must have done something. You have to have done something. If you go to the number of healing rallies that we have in our Malaysian context at this point, in, not just here, but in America, oh, your cancer is the result of a generational sin. Oh, uh, your financial failure is the result of something that you did in the past. Repent of that. That is a retribution principle at work. That is a very simplistic idea and view of God that says that this has happened because of this bad thing that you did. But the text itself is saying, God says, he's a righteous guy. He's a good man. He's not responsible for the suffering that has come to him. Why is that important? Because every time when we face something, we might be looking at this and saying, this is my karma. I can't tell you the number of times when I speak to people who are uh, you know, wanting to come to the faith and they have difficult lives. Their children have left them and they're left all alone and they are going through stroke and they're there on their bed quivering and they say, I don't know why my life is like this. Maybe in my previous life, I did something like this. That is what they understand of the retribution principle. That is what some of you also believe. And I'm questioning this because the accuser says, God, are you like this? Do we have to live with this guilt that all of this has happened because of something that we don't know about? that we need to ask forgiveness for. And so the challenger questions this policy. Does God only bless the righteous? Does the blessing also come with difficulty? And last week, you would have talked and heard about uh, President Jaya talking about blessing and suffering. That in our suffering we develop perseverance. And maybe that is our blessing. How do we not know who we are until we are finally tested? Many times, uh, even my mom used to ask me, so you say you're a Christian, huh? if somebody puts a gun to your head and says you renounce Christ or else, I will pull this trigger. What will your answer be? And in all honesty, I won't know until that test comes. And some of this test comes in order for you to know what is truly in your heart. I've realized that many of the challenges and the sufferings that we go to are a way in which God will reveal what is in our hearts. Where if we believe that all things good happen because of the good that I have done, this book proves you wrong that if anything as good has come to you, it is more because God has been gracious to you, not because you deserve it by the good that you did. We know this because even evil people get blessing. And so I put to question the prosperity gospel that many people have. I put to question many of the worldviews that we have. If I do good, then good will come to me. Now, I say this not so that you will then think, well, if I do good, 
and I'm not sure what's going to come to me, then why bother doing good at all? <laughs> That's what some of you might be thinking. Ah, yeah, you know, if the outcome is so random, then I might as well not bother. And many atheists do that. I'll do good when I feel like it. And so the question you must ask yourself is, do I worship God because He's a good God that will bless me? Or do I worship God because He is God? Do I do righteous acts because it is righteous? Or do I do righteous acts because I expect a retribution policy in place? God, I am sick and I'm wounded. If I give this much to you, will you then do the good thing to me and heal me? Retribution policy. And Job intends to question this through this challenger. How will you apply this in your life? I will ask this question. Why do you do the things that you do? I, I used to have a friend who, who came to me and he's, uh, he said, many non-Christian organizations give even more <laughs> than Christian organizations. And we will often be compared, hey, that association give more. But when you ask them, why do people give? Oh, they are trying to gain merit. They're trying to gain pahala. So they can treat you like dirt. And this is something which was related to me by a relative. Non-Christian. It says, oh, in Chinese culture, if you pay for the funeral expenses of this relative, merit comes to you. And so people are clambering over to want to pay for your funeral. 20,000, 30,000, no problem. They'll pay it because they want the blessing. And so this relative said to me, yeah, when the person has died, then you want to do all this 20, 30,000. But throughout his whole 20 years, none of them visited him. None of them gave two hoots about this guy. Do you do good only because of the return or do you do good because it is the right thing? So my question to you in how you apply this, why do you do the things that you do? Do you do it out of love or do you do it because you expect an end out of this? And I'm also saying it is not wrong to desire to be able to go to heaven as your reward because the Bible is filled with many of those situations where you say that is your reward. But if that is your only objective, you're missing the point. Why do you do the things that you do? Do you operate based on a retribution policy? Which means to say, this person, I don't like him. He's a thorn in my flesh in the office. Or that person in my college, I hate. So when the person asks for help with homework, forget it. I'm not going to help you. Do you operate on this retribution policy? Suka sama suka. I only am good to those I like. Or are you like a righteous God who does what is right, irrespective of who the person is? A rose is a rose to everyone who comes. It doesn't turn into a smelly piece of dung when an enemy comes. Do you value righteousness over 
benefits. It is said in Proverbs, a good man is one who honours his word even when it harms him because he values righteousness over the benefits that come to him or the harm that comes to him. Are we people like that? That you value righteousness even if it is to a person whom you do not like? And lastly, do you have room for God's wisdom and power? Because in all this world, in all this complexity, we do not understand how this world functions. I don't even understand myself, let alone understand how everybody else functions. And so I have to trust in the wisdom and power of a God who is all-consuming and all-powerful. And so to the question that we have about suffering, why is there suffering in this world? I think the answer is because this world has been designed with suffering in it. It occurred the moment sin entered. There is suffering in this world because Jesus himself went through suffering. And I would invite you, as you look at the front page of your bulletin, it says there, your crown of glory, question mark. Jesus suffering on the cross, his crown of glory was a crown of thorns. But everywhere in the New Testament, his suffering has always been referred to as his glory. Do you see in your suffering the glory that comes when you continue to act in righteousness? when you continue to search your heart to say, why do I do the things that I do? Is it because out of my suffering, I respond back evil for evil, violence for violence, tit for tat? Because the cycle of violence only breaks when violence is responded to with love. Jesus paid the price and he calls you to follow. Will you pay the price and work through what is righteous in spite of the suffering that you encounter. Let me read you, in closing, a piece of poetry that was written by Isaac Watts that's derived from Job chapter 1, uh, Job, <coughs> uh, 1 verse 21. Naked as from the earth we came and crept to life at first, we to the earth return again and mingle with our dust. The dear delights we here enjoy and fondly call our own are but short favours borrowed now to be repaid anon. Tis God that lifts our comforts high or sinks them in the grave. He gives and blessed be His name. He takes, but what He gave. Peace, all our angry passions then. Let each rebellious sigh be silent at His sovereign will and every murmur die. If smiling mercy crown our lives, its praises shall be spread and we'll adore the justice too that strikes our comforts dead. Let us pray.
Oh Lord, would you grant us an ability to trust your wisdom and your power that in all the suffering that goes through this world, we look not to why, but what we will do in response to that suffering. Change us, Lord. Transform us and mould us into your likeness. And lead us, Lord, to the truth everlasting. Let us also declare, Lord, in the same way that Job declared, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.